Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide, lead us as we examine it. Show us what you would want us to see from this. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Jesus has just healed a man on the Sabbath at Bethsaida. He declares that he is God and Messiah. And so now we're at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus was then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he said unto Peter, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread was not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here with five barley loaves and two small fish, but what is that among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, and the number of them was about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that sat down, and likewise the fish as much as they would. And then when they were filled, he said to the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. So we're going to look at this. This is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus had done all these activities. He had healed this man. And he went across the Galilee, which they said is also the Sea of Tiberias. And this, the Galilee was known to the Romans as the Sea of Tiberias, which was named in honor of, the, of Caesar Tiberius. Uh, and so this was, there was also a city called Tiberias just on the southwestern corner of Galilee. So uh, Lake, Lake Galilee. So he's crossing this lake basically to get away from the crowd, all right? The crowd is gathered and they're, they're demanding to, to see him. They want, they want to see more miracles. And so Jesus basically escapes from the, the crowd. And I kind of know that feeling because I'm not a big fan of crowds, so I can actually understand the desire to get away. And he takes them and it says, a great multitude followed because they saw the miracles which he did to them that were diseased. And the reason everybody was following him was because they wanted to see more miracles, maybe even be the subject of a miracle. They weren't following him because he was the son of God. He weren't following him because he was the savior. All they wanted to do was, I want to see another new miracle. Uh, show me some things. And even in today's world, people are still seeking after the miracles so often. Uh, I want to see what God's doing. You know, what is he doing now for me? and not learning to trust in him for who he is. So they found them, and it says, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there sat with his disciples. Now, this is something I had never really noticed before, but Jesus had gotten away from the crowd, and basically he sat down with the disciples. He's relaxing. All right? He's relaxing and just, you know, who knows what, what they're doing while they're sitting there just relaxing. Maybe he's sharing some simple things to them. Uh, you know, they're telling jokes. They're just doing whatever you do when you relax, you know, enjoying, enjoying some time alone. They'd gotten away from the crowd and were just sitting there with his disciples. Now, some people have said that sitting there was mean that he was teaching. I'm not so sure. I think Jesus got away from the crowd and he was just relaxing. They were just having a good time. You know, we've gotten away from the crowd. It's just us. And maybe there was some small teaching going on. Guys, tell me what you think. How... How, how's things going? You know, how are things going? What do you think? Who knows all of what was going on there, but they were just relaxing. And then it says very simply here, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. They're getting ready for the Passover time. Now, I don't know why John threw that in there, you know, that the Passover was close, maybe a time marker, so that we know when, it's, when things are happening. In... Um, Chapter 7, he's going to tell us that Jesus didn't, could not go to the Passover this year because of 
the people who were trying to kill him. So he did not go to Jerusalem on that, which is very astonishing because the Passover was the one time that all Jewish males were supposed to go to the temple and worship. So this particular one, Jesus is not going to go to. And, you know, so John has given us a time marker. The Passover is coming, which tells us it's at the end of the year, probably in the 13th month or December, January, uh, excuse me, um, March or February or March by our time, depending on what their calendar was. Because you want to remember the Jewish calendar is on a lunar cycle. And so they have 13, 13, uh, 12 months. And for their leap year, between every seven to 13 years, they add an entire extra month to the calendar so they can get back in cycle and have the spring festivals in the springtime. Our leap years are every four years with one day, they would add every seven to 13 uh, years, they'd add a ex whole extra month and they would, they would base it on how far the, the, the months had gotten away from where they were supposed to be. And this is why when you, if you follow the Jewish holidays, you'll find out, you know, one day their Passover is in March, the next, next month it's in, in April, you know, but it's always in March or April because they will move the calendar around as needed to, by having a whole extra first month. Um, and so it says Passover was nigh, and it says, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he saw a great company coming unto them. So he looks up and this whole group of people that's coming to him and later on he's going to tell us there's at least 5,000 men in this crowd. That's a pretty big crowd coming at you when you're trying to, when you're trying to relax and just have a quiet time with your disciples. <laughs> and you look up and there's 5,000 people coming up the mountainside. And they had already crossed the crossed the, the lake or had gone around the lake to get there because there wasn't probably enough boats to get that many people across at that time. So these people are tired. They're going to be hungry. And Jesus asks a question. And he, for some reason, asks Philip this question. Where will we buy bread that these may eat? Now, you can think about this. You know, all of a sudden, you're being asked, okay, we're going to feed 5,000 people. Where are we going to, how are we going to get this money? Number one, we're on this mountainside away from any town. So not only how, you know, what are we going to feed them, but where are we going to buy enough food to feed these people? And I kind of think this is a very interesting question. Jesus was testing their faith, you know, because it says he knew what, they, what he was going to do. In verse six, it says he said this to prove them, for he himself knew what he was going to do. So he's saying, what kind of faith do you have? How many times does God ask us certain questions and saying, what level of faith do you have? This is what I want you to do. Do you have enough faith to step out? And Jesus is telling them, you know, uh, we're, we're going to feed these guys. And basically that's what he said. We're going to feed them. Where, where are we going to get the food to feed them? And Philip's answer is very interesting. He says, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. Now, this word for penny worth is literally a denarii, which is a full day's wage. So he's saying 200 days of wages is not enough to feed all these people. All right? A day's wage would basically buy enough food to feed one, one person or a small family. So he's going, you know, hey, if we had 200 days wages, which they didn't have, we couldn't even begin to feed these people uh, for every one of them to take a little bit. Right? So Philip is being very practical. Uh, Jesus, you're kind of insane here. Uh, if we had lots of money, which we don't have, and whether, and whether there was a town nearby, which there isn't, we still couldn't get enough food for everybody to get a little bit of food. Yeah, 5,000 people with $200, you know, $200 a day's worth of wages. So a small family, so maybe, you know, He's saying uh, we can't feed, you know, but about 800, you know, 800 people here, you know, if we ha had $200 worth, uh, 200 days of wages, he goes, and it's almost a soft reprimand to Jesus. Uh, Jesus, you should know that there is no way we could <laughs> even begin to feed all these people. And 
Jesus didn't react to him at all. You know, he didn't say, well, Philip, what's wrong with your faith? Philip, you know, why, what, what is your problem? But this whole chapter is about faith, so we're going to be seeing that as we go along. And it says in verse 8, But one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter, said unto him, There is a lad here. He has five barley loaves and, and, five, and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So here we have Andrew showing some amount of faith. He goes, uh, well, Jesus, we have this little boy here. Uh, he has some barley loaves, and these were flat. The description of them is flat bread. The, uh, we would call it kind of pita bread. They would be about five to six inches around in those cases, very thin. So he's got five of these little pita breads you know, for, his, for his little lunch and two small fish. Now, it doesn't really tell us how small the fish are, but they're probably more along the lines of sardines or small, small mackerel. They're small, small fish. And Peter's, and, and uh, excuse me, Andrew goes, well, Jesus, we have a little bit. Uh, Jesus, we can feed you, kind of, kind of idea. But he goes, but, you know, this little meal is going to be nothing for 5,000 people to be eating. And it says 5,000 men, so most people believe that it's much more than 5,000 people that were coming there. Uh, there might have been some women and children in that group, and most likely was. And so Andrew's showing a little bit of faith, very small. He's got that mustard seed of faith. Uh, we have a small lunch, Jesus, but you know you can't feed everybody with this little, this little amount. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. And there was much grass in there. It says they numbered... The men numbered in 5,000 people. So Jesus tells the disciples, have them sit down. And it says, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were sat down, and likewise the fish as much as they would. This is kind of interesting. He, get, he divided the fish and the bread, and people took as much as they wanted. Now, can you imagine the disciples? Jesus takes five loaves of bread. There's not even enough for, for even half a loaf of bread for each one of the disciples. He starts breaking it up and passing it to the 12 disciples. And they start passing it out to the people. Now, I'm not sure how this miracle worked, but you can almost picture, here I am, you know, here, take a, take a piece of bread. And I get it back, and it's the same size as when I gave it to you, and you're sitting there with bread. Take it to the next person. Here, take a, little, you know, take a piece of bread. They take, a, they take a big piece of bread and they come back and it's the same size as it was. It's almost like the lady with the oil. The lady with the oil and, and, and Elijah and Elisha. Uh, you know, the whole thing. You know, how it worked, I don't know. I don't know how miraculous it was, but all I know is 5,000 people get to eat all they want <laughs> on one boy's lunch. And they, it's fish and bread. It's not, a, it's not a huge feast, but it is definitely satisfying to them. It's not much different from what they normally would have had as their normal fare. They have bread and fish, each one as much as they want, in this word, uh, as they would, which in uh, the Greek is desired, as much as they desired. All right? So, oh, I want some more. Give me some more. And they kept taking it, and they kept taking it, and they kept taking it. And... Everybody is being fed. Can you imagine the, the look on the disciples' faces as they're passing out this food? They figure there's going to be a riot after just the first couple of people and there's no more food. And the ones in the back are going to be upset and they keep passing it out and there's food for everyone. However many people there were in that crowd above the 5,000 men. Not just a little morsel like, like Philip was saying. You know, we, we'll give them a small morsel. We'll give them, we'll give them a, a snack. You know, we'll whet their appetites a little bit. But when they're passing it out, they get to eat till they're filled. Now, they wanted to see a miracle, and here they are seeing a miracle. They're being fed with a very small amount of food. And this is kind of an interesting, interesting thing in and of itself. They, there's, you know, they're passing this out. There's really not enough food for 5,000 people to be fed. But Jesus blessed it, and God multiplies it. 
And I wonder sometimes, I have seen times when my family, when I was young, we'd, we'd have a whole bunch of people over and there'd be one little pot of, well, little pot, you know, five quart pot of soup and some rice and 30 or 40 people there and everybody got enough to be fed and be full. And the food did not disappear. Do I believe that was a small miracle? I've still believed it was a small miracle on the many occasions where that one pot of stew <laughs> filled everybody and nobody went home hungry. Nobody was saying, well, there's only that little bit. I can only take a little bit. People were taking a bunch, getting seconds, getting thirds, and filling up. I have seen times on our end-of-the-month dinners where I'm looking and go, there's not enough food for everybody here, and everybody goes home you know, full. And I don't think anybody has ever just said, well, I can't take as much as I want. I think there's been small miracles just like this. God's still in the miracle business. How? I don't think if it was miraculous enough for them to even notice, all they knew is like, I keep passing out bread and I still have bread to pass out. And I can imagine the disciples looking at this and going, okay, uh, I'm halfway through the crowd and I still have some bread in my hand. Uh, I'm three quarters of the way through the crowd and I still have bread in my hand. Uh, okay, wow, we got to the end of the crowd and I don't know whether they had a you know, piece of bread for themselves or not, you know, but... You know, everybody's been fed. Can you imagine the excitement in the disciples' minds even at that? You know, wow, everybody got something out of this little small lunch. And then Jesus tells them to do something even more amazing. He goes, gather up the fragments that none, that remain, that nothing be lost. Now, I don't know how big these baskets were. Okay, I don't know if they were small lunchbox baskets or if they were big <laughs> bushel baskets. You know, in my mind, when I was a kid, I always thought of big bushel baskets, but they could have been small baskets. It doesn't really matter. He goes, they gather up 12 baskets full of fragments. So each disciple could have a basket of food, of bread and, and fish to take, take with them when they, when they left this place. And I think Jesus was saying, you've given, now you receive. And it's very true that when God says for us to give, we receive back abundantly. And I think this is exactly what it is. Maybe they gave the 12 baskets to the little boy who gave him one basket. I don't have any clue what, how that worked. But I do know 12 is enough for each disciple to have a basket. But just the abundance that God returned back as he multiplied this food. And they picked up all the scraps, all the scraps out there that were picked up and had plenty of food to feed the disciples or give the boy. I have no idea. Uh, every sermon I heard says, well, the disciples each had a basket. And I kind of believe that that's what the miracle was for. You've served, you've given, now here's your, your, your reward. And, you know, we think about this, this kind of a small miracle in one sense, that 5,000 people were fed. It's not the first time in the Bible that a multitude of people have been fed on very little. You mentioned the, the, woman, had, you know, the woman who uh, poured the oil out and poured the oil out and poured the oil out until she had no more uh, bottles to, to fill because she needed money to pay her debt. It could have been like the woman at Zarephath when Elijah said, you know, she's getting ready to cook her last cake for her and her son. And the prophet Elijah says, make me a cake first and she does and then she ends up having a bin that doesn't run out until the until the weather changes and they get a harvest and her little and i don't think she ever had more than a little little bit in the bottom of her you know flower box or a little tiny dab of oil but she kept using it and she'd go back the next day and there was more flour and more oil in there to to make the next meal i don't think she ever got to where her whole box was filled and said oh i got plenty why because that takes away from faith. One of the things I have noticed about God is he always gives us just enough to keep us walking in faith. Because he knows that most of us, myself included, if we got abundantly blessed, would probably say, okay, I'm doing okay. I don't need to pray. I don't need to seek God. I don't need to walk by faith. And we see this over and over that God says, walk by faith and I'm going to bless you and you're not even going to recognize it until you look back at it. Now, 
I am not rich by any chance, stretch of the imagination, but God keeps paying, allowing me to pay all my bills and pay my bills and pay my bills. Would I like to be better off? Yes, I would, but God, I like also the fact that God meets my needs and gives me enough. And this is what he does all through the scriptures. He meets people right on time, and very rarely does he ever give somebody more than they, more than they can use. It is all just to keep us humble and dependent on him. I had an experience just today. I uh, had computer problems, so I couldn't test my, my testers. And I'm very irritated because yeah. it takes so much to test them and, 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 and all that. And then they ended up closing down the entire facility. And if I had been testing the people, then I would have had a whole lot of paperwork to get done to fix it. So it's like, okay, God, small miracle, but I, I kind of like it now that I see the reason for it. And it's, it's one of those reasons that where you see Romans 8.28, you know, he saved me an hour's worth of paperwork by not allowing me to test, my, test those inmates. Well, I was forgetting Romans 8.28 this morning, too, when I was there in my irritation phase. Yeah. I'm going, God, I'm just tired of this. And then all of a sudden I go, they closed everything down. I'm going, oh, thank you, God. You, you really knew what you were doing. Thank you. But, you know, it really is important for us to be thankful for the small blessings and activities that God gives us. All right, verse 14. Then those men which they had seen, that had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of truth, that prophet that should come into the world. And when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and make, take him by force to make him king, he departed again into the mountain himself alone. So the people, because they had been fed now, they had seen the miracles of the healings, now they've been fed, and they're going, this is definitely the, the Messiah. This is, this, is, this is the one who's coming, the, the anointed one who's going to rule over us. And they were ready, because Jesus said so, they were ready to take him and make him king. Whether he wanted to be or not, they were ready to get hold of him and just say, you are now our king. And I don't know how that would really feel to have somebody want you that bad to be king. But they wanted it also for the wrong reasons. What did they want? They wanted a king who could meet their needs without taxes and everything was going to be perfect because he could magically make, make food. He could heal all the sick people. And that is what they were looking at is this man would be a great king. Yeah, a great king, he wouldn't have to collect taxes. He wouldn't have, we wouldn't have to work because everything would be taken care of all the wrong reasons for wanting to, to set him up. And it says, and Jesus went up into the mountain alone. Now, I don't know how high up in the mountain he went. He went someplace very quickly where they couldn't follow him, probably rocky terrain so they couldn't track him. And he got up alone, all by himself up on the mountain. Now in another one of the scriptures, uh, gospels, uh, it tells us that Jesus told the disciples to go ahead and start across the, the lake while he was gone. Right, same, event, same event in, in uh, Matthew 14 and, and Luke 6. Both of them tell us that Jesus told them to go ahead and, and leave, which had to be kind of interesting. They're going, okay, you want us to cross the, the, the lake? You know, how are you going to join us? How are you going to get up? But he is the master. People do what they're told, and they did. All right. And Jesus went up higher into the mountain. And like most mountains, I'm sure it got rockier and, and harder to get into. So he's able to get lost and, and not be followed by these, these people who wanted to make him king. But I'm sure many of them kept trying to follow him. You know, we're gonna, we, we, we've got our king. We want him to be king. And they kept following him up there. And Jesus departed. He got out of there. And it's kind of interesting how many times Jesus, in the midst of a crowd, just walked through the crowd. Somehow was made unseen, you know, unseen. But it also is the idea that if you want to get away from someplace, sometimes the best thing to do is get in the midst of the crowd and get lost. All right? But when you're the center of attention, it's hard to get lost in the crowd. Uh, but Jesus did it on more than one occasion. And I don't know how God managed to do that, you know, blind their eyes of a few people until he was in the crowd or, or make him invisible. Who knows how he did it? Uh, God is God and can make it happen. 
So in this case, he went up the mountain to get away from them. And as the other gospels tell us, he went, told the disciples, you go down and cross the, cross the lake and I'll join you. And I'm not sure if they understood how he would join them. I'm not sure that they really understood how long they would be without him. They just thought, okay, the master said do this. We're going to do it. Especially after they'd just seen a miracle. Now, did they expect him to do what he did? I don't think so. But All right, verse 16. And when evening was come... Now the disciples went down into this, unto the sea, and they entered a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum, which was now, and it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. And so when they had rowed about 25 to 30 furlongs, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, and drawing nigh unto the ship, they were, and they were afraid. But he said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the, into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land where they went. All right. So here we have Jesus walking on the water. Now, we, in uh, Matthew, we're told that Peter walks on the water. We get a lot more, in Matthew, we get a lot more about the story. Here, we kind of just get a glimpse of the story. And it says, they went down. It was evening time. They, they obeyed Jesus. They went into the ship at nighttime. And they were going to cross over to, Cal- to Copernicum, which was approximately seven to eight miles away. All right. Um, and they started rowing their ship, and a storm came up. They had to take down any cell they would have had, and they were trying to row against this storm. And it says that they went about 25 to 30 furlongs. Now, I'm sure everybody knows exactly how long a furlong is. Uh, they had gone somewhere between just over three miles, 3.1 miles, to three and a quarter, three-thirds miles. So they went somewhere between three to four miles across the, across the lake. So they're about halfway into their trip to the other side. And they're fighting the storm. And one of the things about the Sea of Galilee is storms come up on that on the Sea of Galilee and they rage with vicious storms. They can capsize these boats and, and stuff in there. And still to this day, these storms will come surprisingly quick onto, onto Galilee. And even with our weather and everything that we have, these storms will come in and the, the waters will be choppy and and have large waves for for because it's a pretty good size lake, and so they had gone somewhere between three to four miles across the across the lake, rowing the whole way. And remember, many of these guys were good fishermen. They knew they knew how to run their boats. They were sailors for all practical purposes, and they they were going through, and they saw Jesus. Now I've always thought about what would we think of if we saw somebody walking on water to begin with, and it's the middle of the storm to otherwise. You know, that would be the first thing. All right, have we gone to sleep? Have we died? Uh, are we dreaming of this? You know, is, is that really a person on the water? The other gospels say they thought it was a ghost, you know, walking across, walking across the water. Uh, one of the other gospels said that Jesus was going to walk right past the boat. You know, made like he was going to walk past the boat. <laughs> this one doesn't tell us all these details, but you know, you're looking out there, you're struggling, probably bailing out the water because the water is flashing, you know, coming into the boat. So you've got a number of people rowing, you've got a number of people bailing out water, uh, worrying about how, how they're going to get to the other side of this. And you're halfway out in the middle of the lake, and there's, at this point you have to continue because it's going to take you longer to turn the boat around and get back to where you were than it to get to the end, uh, and they see Jesus. And you can just picture the absolute fear in their hearts. What is this that we're seeing walking across the water? Knowing that human beings can't walk on water, knowing that there's nothing else, and they had some superstitions as well, uh, you know, on this situation. They thought it was a ghost. And they were afraid, and Jesus said, It is I, do not be afraid. And when we read in Matthew where, where Peter goes, he goes, Well, Lord, if it really is you, tell me to come out to you. 
Now, that's kind of a bold statement. Peter, Peter was known for his brashness. And Jesus said, come. And it's always amazed me that Peter actually got out of the boat to walk on the water. It's always amazed me because, you know, he's like, okay, Jesus told me to come. I'm coming. But how hard would that step have been to come out of the boat and walk on the water? Either he had more belief or he had more brashness that was willing to take the chance. We really don't know why. He was a brash man. He, you know, he had a lot of foot and mouth disease uh, problems. Uh, you know, was he just trying to be, you know, look how, you know, look how bold I am. If it's really Jesus, I'm going to ask him to tell me to come. And then he's kind of caught in a rock in a hard place when Jesus says, come. Okay, do I step out of the boat like he told me to? You know, or do I chicken out in front of all the other disciples and not, <laughs> not step out? You know, so I think he was in kind of a pickle. I don't know if he had great faith. I don't think he did. I think he was just trying to be bold. And then he was in a place where, okay, now I've got to step out because he said to come. And then he says, and when he saw the waves, I mean, it's amazing. He's walking on water. Probably very excited. Look at this. I'm walking on water. I'm walking to Jesus on this water. Then he saw the waves. And immediately he started sinking. Because he, he wasn't focused on the right thing. He wasn't focused on the object of his faith. But he's also a great picture of how many times do we step out into something great for God. And then instead of looking at what God is doing, we focus on all the problems and all the reasons why we can't do what we're, what we're trying to do. You know, all of a sudden, Peter looks around and realizes that there's waves, and he's probably thinking, what am I walking on the water in the middle of a storm for? And then once he got to that point, it's like, why am I walk how can I walk on water, period? And then immediately he starts to, to sink. But he had one very important thing in that time. He, he looked to God and he said, help. And Jesus lifted him up. Jesus said, don't be afraid. And it says, and they willingly received him into the boat where they were delighted. They had pleasure. They were excited to bring Jesus on the boat because it was him. They've gone from pure fear. Who is this? What is this on the, on the water? To come on aboard, Jesus. Come aboard. And it says, immediately the ship was at land where they went. Now, I've got to think about this. They, they were not only bring Jesus on, but they were translated from one spot to another. They took Jesus in, and the next thing they know, they're looking up, and they're, and they're on the shore. After having been struggling for several hours, it tells us in the other Gospels, to try to get halfway across. Jesus starts walking. They meet him halfway on, you know, on it. And that would have been a miracle in and of itself that you find one little boat in the middle of a seven-mile uh, lake, which is pretty much a round lake. It's not completely round. It's a little oblong. But you know, to find one boat out in the middle of the water seven miles was a miracle in and of itself that Jesus did to find them. And if you've ever been out on a big lake and get out a little ways from water, you can, you can be near something and never see it. In the middle of a storm, you can really never see it. You know, these guys had, would have good eyes. And it says, as soon as he got on the boat, they found themselves three to four miles away on shore. Well, this isn't the only time that we see somebody that's translated from one place to another. Yeah. Philip, in the, books of, in the book of Acts, when he was talking to the Ethiopian eunuch, it said that he went down, he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, and he, as soon as the Ethiopian eunuch came out of the water, Philip disappeared and found himself 150 miles away. Now, what a, we look at this and go, all right, God, how'd you do this? Over the scriptures, we see a couple of places, not happening a lot, but it just tells us that God has power to move human beings and move things in this world in miraculous ways. When we get to the rapture, he's going to move millions of people very quickly. Moses was dying. He went on, to, his body was taken and God buried him someplace and nobody knows where he was buried. He's not the first time. He took Elijah and, and translated him from walking out of this world. 
took Enoch. Enoch was and was not. You know, God just took him. God has shown his power more than once over nature. Jesus' entire life was a walk of showing God's power over nature. The children of Israel being fed every, every morning by manna and having water from a rock. Every morning for 40 years that God showed that he had power over nature. He is the creator of nature. Of course he has power over it. We should expect that. But God has openly displayed his power over nature. And over and over again we see this. And this is why when I look around us and I see all of nature starting to, to come against mankind because of the sin, I'm not surprised. And I'm absolutely sure that it is God who's doing all of the storms and weather and earthquakes and volcanoes and storms that are worse than anything we've ever seen. Why? Because he's trying to get man's attention as he's always done. And I think we're going to start seeing some big earthquakes hitting places that are not used to earthquakes. And maybe even some big earthquakes places that are used to seeing earthquakes. And I'm talking about big earthquakes. You know, that would make some of these other earthquakes that we've seen look tame. But I think we're going to start seeing those kind of weather. We're already seeing storms that make, you know, that have not been seen. Six feet of snow being dumped in, in New York over this last, you know, week and a half or two weeks ago what was it, four or five feet of snow over the Sierras this, this week. You know, we're starting to see storms that we have not seen in, in our lifetime, in, in even recent years. We're seeing hurricanes, you know, we're seeing more and more high-rated high, uh, hurricanes and typhoons that are very deadly. Why? Because God is trying to get attention. Now, man is saying it's, it's climate change that you know, man has caused and all of this. And even in the days of the past when, when, Jesus, when God would do these miracles, people had excuses and reasons for them to happen without saying it was God. And in the tribulation period, they're going to blame everything but God for all the trials that are coming their way. A handful of people will have read the book of Revelation and say, oh, this is exactly what he said was coming, but not many. And they'll keep blaming other things than God. And we see this over and over as this goes on. So we find that the disciples have been rowing for hours, trying to get as far as they did. And then the next thing you know, Jesus steps in the boat and they're on the other side. Yeah. And I wonder if they realize, you know, what they thought about that. Were we closer to shore than we thought? You know, how, how, did you, how do you explain that? Uh, they about I'm sure they were talking about it for a long time. You know, I didn't think we were this close to shore, and here we are on shore. And it may have taken Jesus for them to really realize that, you know, I'm the one that took you there. I don't know. But they immediately found themselves at land and they, and were, that they were going to. And, you know, you think about these little tiny miracles that were going on. The Jesus finding them, and they were, they were rowing and, and, and fighting against the storm. And the next thing you know, they're made landfall and only somebody who's been at sea during a storm would actually understand this full impact of what this meant to them to find land and be at land all of a sudden or you know we might have an idea if we've been on a very long journey and you're going am I ever going to get there and then you finally get there and you can relax uh, at the end of that journey and in this case they didn't even know how long that journey was going to be so they we're, we're there with that. Verse 22, The following day, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save the one wherein Jesus was entered, uh, the disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away, howbeit they came over, there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after the Lord had given thanks. When the people thereof saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side, they said unto him, Rabbi, when came you here? <laughs> All right, so this is, I find this part very funny. The people are all looking for Jesus on the mountain. 
They go finally come down off the mountain down to the, to the lake. They realize that the boat that the disciples were in is gone. And obviously somebody had been watching and they knew that Jesus was not in that boat. And I don't know how long they searched that mountainside looking for Jesus. You know, watching for Jesus. Where did he go? How did I, you know, where, where could he be? And after a while, it says, and then some people came from Tiberias and boats and to the place where they had eaten. So other people are now coming to Tiberias. There's more people coming from Tiberias across the lake to find Jesus. They, they kind of know where his last location was. And they're following him. And sometimes I think about the paparazzi, how they tell everybody where, where the famous person is. And the next thing you know, crowds gather where that person is. So I, I kind of equate this. Somebody out there was telling them, this is where Jesus' last known location was. And everybody's swarming. So we had 5,000 people here. Now we're getting more people crossing, the, crossing it. And then it says, when the people saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they started getting into the boats and crossing the lake. They're going, okay, we're going to go find him. So I can picture, I don't know how many boats were there with all these people, but these boats start fanning out over the Galilee. <laughs> we're going to find out where Jesus went. Somebody probably went to Tiberias. Somebody went up to, toward Nazareth. Somebody probably went up to Copernicum. They're all going to the various towns all around the lake and going, we're going to find where Jesus is and where his disciples went so that we can spread the news on where he went. And it says, when they, and when the people saw Jesus, was not there, oh, seeking Jesus, verse 25, and when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when came you here? How, basically, how did you get here? All right. Uh, we know you were over there. There was no boat that you got into. We took the boat across the, across the lake, and here you are. You know, did you, how did you get around the lake this fast? How did you get to where you are now? And Jesus never answered them. He never answered them and told them how he got there. He let them wonder, how did he get to this location? One of the things that we need to keep in mind is Jesus is going to do what he wants to do and he wants to do with us. Uh, and we need to learn to see what Jesus is doing and join him in what he's doing, as, as Henry Blackaby said in Experiencing God. Look around and find out where God is and join him. Most of the time, we have this habit of, God, this is what I want to do. Come and join me. And we need to be very careful that we're looking around and saying, God, what do you want done? Help me understand. And we need to learn to ask for the discernment to see what God is doing. How do I serve him? What do I do? How can I go forward and serve him the way he wants because many of us, myself included, like to get prideful and say, well, God, I think we could do this, and this would be a really wonderful thing to do. I've got two or three things I'd love to see our church do, but I'm not, not sure if the time is. And, and sometimes I wonder, do I not have enough faith to step out, or is it such a big thing that it may not be, be what God wants and it's what I want? And I don't know the answer yet. I'm, I pray all the time for discernment to know what to step out in. Because some of the things I want to do are pretty big, big activities, especially for a church our size. So, but God is able to do it if he wants it done. But I don't want to step out in a big activity that I'm not absolutely sure that God wants done. And when God provides the people and there's some people talking about what, what I think needs to be done, then I'll know it's a sign from God saying we're going to step out. Because I don't want to spend God's money needlessly but I also want to step out by faith if that's what it takes. And I think God's got some big plans for our church still. I know he's got plans for our church still. That we're going to see some great things happening. Verse 26, And Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me, not because, of, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perish, but for the meat which endures and unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. 
So Jesus chastises them and says, and it's kind of interesting, he goes, you're not even seeking me for the miracles that you saw. All right? You've seen me heal people. You've seen all these things. And that was always done to somebody else. They watched him help others. He goes, but you're seeking after me because your belly's got filled. You got something from me, and now you personally want me. It's not just, you know, curiosity, who's he going to help next? He goes, you have been filled, and you, now you want to have that experience again. You're expecting me to fill you again and again with food. And you're not looking at how I am pouring out to others. And this is very important for us. When we are looking to, to be with God, are we looking at what God can do for us? Or are we looking at how we can be used by God to reach out to others and touch others? Too many times our desire is, God, what's in it for me? We hear it oftentimes when people go, well, I don't like the music that's being played in church, or I don't like this message, or I don't like this, I don't like that, that they're doing this or that. What are we saying? God, you're not meeting what I want, and I don't care that other people are getting met. I'm not getting what I want, and I'm not happy. And this is what Jesus is telling them. You are not following me for the right reasons. You're following me for what you can get, not what God is going to give. And he goes, labor not for meat which perishes. You know, don't do things for the things that are going to die away. Our fame, the, the prestige, the, the honor you know, of that. And here he's talking literally of being fed by food. He goes, the food goes away. But what is food for in comparison to eternity? He goes, but for that meat which endures forever, uh, endures unto everlasting life, which the Spirit, the Son of Man, shall give you for God the Father, for him God the Father has sealed. He goes, seek after what is eternal. Too many of us walk too often in what can I get in this world? You know, and there is a statement that people use against Christians that it's supposed to be something that is you know, derogatory. They're too, too heavenly minded to be of earthly good. Well, the only problem is the more heavenly minded I am, the more earthly good I'm going to do because I'm going to bring God down to this world to minister to people. And I look forward to going to heaven. I look forward to bringing as many people to heaven with me as I can. What has Christianity done in this world? It's built orphanages. It's built hospitals. It's built... Uh, food banks. It's done all kinds of things to help people, physical needs, not to meet their physical needs, but to transition to helping their spiritual needs. And this is what's important. When I give out a food box, I put a track in that food box. I talk to them about God and, and, and everything. Not heavily, because I'm not trying to drive them away, but I want them to know this is being done because God loves them. And this is what Jesus is saying, you're seeking after the physical. The physical dwindles away. I'm more concerned with your spiritual. Where are you going to be for eternity? Are you going to be taken care of eternally, or are you just on the physical plane? And we all need to be focused on eternity. What happens for eternity? This is why, and I've told you all, and if you've been in the office, you've seen it, you know, there's a sign on it, what is the value of one soul? You know, what is the worth of one soul? You know, what does it matter to me? Will I suffer pain if one person can get saved? And I hope my answer will always be yes. I'm willing that I do not get what I want so that one person can get saved. So this is a disciple's attitude. Thank God we've been worthy to suffer for him as they were able to share the gospel message with people. We need to keep that focus on eternity, on the Father, so that we can bring people to him. And this is why the value of Romans 8.28, for all things work together for good for those who love God and are called to according to his purpose. If my suffering will bring somebody closer to God, especially bringing, getting them saved, was my suffering worth it? 
And I think the answer is yes. Now, now, now I may not know that it was worth it until I get to heaven. All I can do is trust that God has a plan and that it is worth it. And I do trust that he has a plan, that it is worth it. If I don't get my way, you know, when I sing songs in the service, I'm not singing all the songs that I love because that would be pleasing me. I sing songs that others want to sing. I sing songs that aren't my style. Because even as pastor, my job is not to do what I want to do. It is what is going to bring others to Christ. And this is what's so important. Are we focused on him to draw people to him? Am I willing to go through a hard time so that he gets lifted up? And sometimes when we go through hard times, it is great when people look at us and say, wow, they're not totally wiped out. They're not angry. They're not upset. They're, you know, they may look a little confused and dazed, but they're not cursing God and, and getting mad about what's going on. And it opens doors to share God with them. And this is what Jesus is telling them. You want me because you got fed. He goes, you're not even after me for the miracles you saw. You're after me because you got fed. I want you to look at the eternal, not the temporal. And we need to really bring ourselves to the place where we look at the eternal, not the temporal. What is our motivation for serving God? Am I looking at what glory I'm going to get? How many people are going to know what I've done? Or are we looking at, is God lifted up? And that is what we need to always be doing is lifting up Jesus because it's all about him. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And our job is simply to make sure he's lifted up. And that means doing things well, doing them organized, but not necessarily so that I look good or you look good, but that Jesus looks good. And this is what his challenge was to them. Lord, we ask you to guide us, lead us, help us to always look at you and all that we do. Help us to lift you up always and always seek after the spiritual and eternal rather than the temporal. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church P.O. Box 65 Chloride, Arizona 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.